Resistance, Part 3, Chapter 31, February 21st, 1943, Road to Warsaw. We slept late the next morning, but I was finally warm, comfortable, and felt reasonably safe. I didn't even pretend to care about what time it was. The partisans were preparing a midday meal when I ducked out of my tent. Esther had been kept in a nearby medical tent for evaluation, but she was already up and helping with the food. Her face brightened when she saw me, and she showed off her newly wrapped wrist. Breakfast was simple, a thick slice of bread, a little dried meat, and hot coffee, but it tasted like a feast to me. Life as a partisan wasn't easy, but at least they had a chance to live free out here, beyond the ghetto walls. After we'd eaten, our bags were returned to us, but with one difference. We loaded your gun and packed you some extra ammunition, Reuben told me. If you're going to Warsaw, you'll need it. I'll use it well, I replied, a promise I fully intended to keep. The partisans had a side motor car, which was offered to take us in to Warsaw. Esther chose the sidecar while I rode behind Reuben. The roads weren't good and the weather looked promising. The roads were good and the weather looked promising. Assuming we weren't forced to detour around any Nazi patrols, we should reach Warsaw in a little over an hour. I'll get you into the city, Reuben said, but not into the ghetto. I hope you understand. I understood why the partisan discouraged us from part joining a fight that was sure to fail. But if they joined the fight too, it might offer enough of a boost for the ghetto fighters to succeed. Why couldn't they understand that? Due to its central placement in Europe, Warsaw had been erased from the map many times over in its history, each time returning stronger and more beautiful than before. It boasted the nickname Paris of the North and had been my favorite place to go as a child. I would accompany Papa when he had tra to travel there to get supplies for his shoe repair shop. I particularly loved walking in the gardens near the Saxon Palace or touring the art museum or sneaking away with my mother for a bit of a shopping trip. On our last trip together before the war, Warsaw was a bustling, vibrant city with over one million citizens, a third of them Jewish. Warsaw would be very different now. Our ride into the city was remarkably easy, especially considering all the trouble we'd had since leaving Krakow. Still, once we entered the city limits, a lump formed in my throat. Suddenly, Esther's and my mission felt far too real. The city looked as if it was on the brink of being erased from the map yet again. We passed whole buildings that had been leveled to the ground during the Blitzreg, some of the back streets still impassable with debris. Polish citizens walked with their eyes down, avoiding the Nazi soldiers who roamed nearly every corner. Esther saw them too and ducked so low into the sidecar that unless someone looked down on us from above, they probably wouldn't notice she was in there. She still hadn't said much about what she'd endured the other night, but I suspected it was worse than what she had described. Fear lingered on her face with every change of expression. Not her usual dread of the unknown, but a terror that came with knowing how far the Nazis would go to get what they wanted. Reuben turned onto a quiet street and offered me a grim smile. Is there any way I can persuade you to return with me to the forest? I wished we could, truly. It seemed cruel to discover Reuben was still alive, only to have to say goodbye already. But I climbed off the back of his motorbike and gave him a hug. I'm afraid not. 
We have to see our mission through to the end. He nodded at Esther, who was stepping out onto the street. You say you have a package to deliver to the ghetto? What is it? What could be so valuable that you have risked all of this to be here? Before she could answer, if she would have, I cut off his question with a warm thank you. It wasn't my business to ask about the package, and it certainly wasn't his. And he seemed to understand. He gave my hand a squeeze, though this time there was money in his palm. It's all I have, he said. Use it well. Thank you, I whispered. We will. Reuben frowned at me, and I felt his heart tug at mine, begging me to reconsider. I gave him one last hug, though it had to be brief. It couldn't look as permanent as it was. Nor did I look back when he drove off. I couldn't, because, but not because it raised suspicions. My reasons for avoiding a last look at him were far more personal. How do we get into the ghetto itself? I needed conversation again as a distraction. We'll find a way. Esther faced steadfastly forward as we walked. She was different from the girl I first met last fall. Somewhere, amid her fears, a new confidence had emerged a determination to finish what the Nazis had started. We should get as much as we can bring in, I said. Once we're in, that's probably our last stop. Ever. She looked over at me and nodded, a gesture given with finality, because there was nothing more to say. We both knew what we were walking into. Esther hid with the bags inside a bathroom stall of a small restaurant. Hopefully that would keep her safe while I took the rest of our money to buy provisions. There were only two things I wanted, food and medical supplies. Because of rations, I couldn't buy much of either without raising suspicions. But with enough trips to various markets and a small stack of forged ration cards, I gradually obtained a good stockpile. I imagined the ghetto had very few bandages or bottles of aspirin and rubbing alcohol. For food, I concentrated on what could be eaten quickly, assuming that a fight was coming and no one would have time to prepare a meal. I brought dried meats that I hoped were kosher, although I could hardly ask about them. Pierogies and even some pastries that might raise the spirits of fighters who could only see a bleak future. A jelly-filled puchki might go a long way towards reminding some, reminding them that their life still offered good things, or I hoped it would. And not because life was easy or happiness was guaranteed, or because we had any chance of waking up to find all of our problems were over. No, no. Life offered good things because life itself is good. And whether I had days left or months or years, I wanted to make the most of every moment. And with that thought, I couldn't return to Esther fast enough, ready to join in the fight. Together we stepped out of the restaurant, but almost instantly froze, our eyes locked on a woman in front of us. The woman became equally still, her face a virtual beacon of fear. My first thought was a question wondering why these two these two should be wary of each other as strangers. But that was my answer. They weren't strangers at all. That woman must be Jewish, attempting to disguise herself as Polish, much like I did. But she was clearly not prepared to see someone she knew, nor was Esther. <clears throat> Their standoff was already drawing attention our way. People even moved around them, no doubt whispering to one another about this uneasy exchange. The woman broke free from, broke from her trance with a start and marched over to Esther with her hands on her hips. How dare you, she hissed. How dare you show your face back here. Your parents got what they deserved. So will you. 
I put my body between the woman and Esther, keeping my eyes fierce and locked on the woman's face. Walk away now or we're all dead. I refused to look away until she finally took a step back. But she added, you wouldn't defend her if you knew the truth. I'll defend her until my last breath because she's my friend. Now go. The woman smiled and stepped back. Stick with her and your last breath will come soon enough. Once I was sure the woman was gone, I turned and pushed Esther into an alley behind the restaurant. Tears welled in her eyes, but I had no sympathy this time. You're from Warsaw? I tried to keep my voice low, but anger seeped through every syllable. Why didn't you tell me? I was going to. I didn't know how. That was a fine way to find out. Who was that woman? What did she mean that my parents got what they deserved and then they were dead? Are they dead? Who is she, Esther? Who are your parents? Esther looked back and then tilted her head toward the right. About five blocks that direction was my home where I grew up. It was lost in the Blitzerig on the same day my brother was killed. Suddenly, it was just me and my parents. We had nothing else in the world. My voice softened. I can't imagine what that felt like. She offered a grim smile. Yes, you can. I'm not the only one that anything has happened to, remember? My father was offered a position on the Judenrat. She quickly added, I know you don't trust any of them, Kaya, and I understand why, but my father believed it was the only chance we had to survive. I did understand that much. If he's Judenrat, shouldn't you have been protected? We were, until the action last summer. The head of the Judenrat killed himself rather than provide the Germans with a list up for deportations. The responsibility of creating the list passed to my father, but he made two agreements. The first was with ZOB. My father would keep residence members off the list if they agreed to smuggle me out of the ghetto. That's how you met Dolik, I said. Then he brought you to Krakow. Yes, I asked to join the resistance to thank the people who helped me escape the ghetto and to make up for the names my father put on the list instead. Such as the family of that woman we just saw. Her voice broke. I'm only alive because, because, because that woman's family was on the list. A beat passed. Then your father made two bargains. The second was made with the Germans. He refused to provide names for a death camp, so they agreed to deport the people to another ghetto to help with overcrowding here. Loads. I barely breathed out the word, then shook my head in disbelief. That's why you apologized after we left. We never had orders to go there. You took us to Lodz to see if the Germans had kept their promise. You decided we'd go there. Esther, you lied to me. I had to. A few days ago, you told me how much worse Yitzchak's disappearance is because you'll never know what happened to him. That's how I felt, only instead of one person. It was thousands. And how many more died in the action we started because you wanted to settle your conscience? I didn't know that would happen, and I sincerely hoped we could bring whoever was there. I'm sorry, Kaya. What about here? Did we ever have orders to come here? Yes, we do. I swear it. I turned away, furious and failing in my attempts to not let it show. Barely under her breath, she whispered, I think my parents are dead. Her lower lip quivered, but she couldn't cry here. Our hushed conversation was already getting second looks from passerbys. I was angry with her, 
and heartbroken for her, and completely unsure of what to do now except to get us both off the streets. I hoisted my bag again, keeping my tone firm. Can you get us into the ghetto? She nodded, brushing away a single escape tear. I can. Then nothing else matters right now. Get us inside. The ghetto was located near the center of Warsaw, close to the Vistula River, but with no access to the water. It encompassed a three and a half kilometer area with a footbridge connecting two halves, allowing a streetcar to pass underneath. The ghetto's brick walls were three meters tall and lined on the top with barbed wire. As we approached, I saw where holes might have once been dug beneath the walls for children to escape and returned with their smuggled food. These children knew which market owners left old fruit in an easily stolen pile behind their shop, or which housewives pretended to cool bread beneath an unwatched windowsill. But these holes were filled now and the bricks replaced. What if your way in doesn't exist anymore? I asked Esther. It does. At about the time I left, they began shrinking the ghetto boundaries. Some of the former area was given back to the Poles for their occupation. The rest is supposed to be abandoned, uninhabited. What do you mean, supposed to be? They're considered the wild nest. They're considered the wild areas. No one is allowed in there, but there are plenty of places for people to hide. How do they survive? She shrugged. How do any of us survive these days? We should be able, able to get into the wild after it's dark, then make our way through the buildings until we cross into the ghetto. I didn't understand how that was possible, but she was asking me to trust her. Given what I'd just learned about her history, I knew how foolhardy that was. But what other choice did I have? Tonight, she said, we go in tonight for the last time.